get into the word here. Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. Normally, I would give you a page number, but we literally just open these Bibles, so you're going to have to find it on your own. Acts chapter 9, verse 19. Let me go ahead and start reading. We're jumping in in the middle of the story here, and so I'd encourage you after church to go ahead and, and, and follow up on what the story is about, but let's jump, jump in on 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on the name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Hmm. What a powerful story. The cliff note version of a man that was going to Damascus to kill Christians, encounters God along the way, hears a great voice and a great light, is blinded, and begins to say, Lord Jesus, from the very beginning. And now the man is in Damascus, Saul, and he's calling Christians brothers and sisters. That's the cliff note version of what we have going on here. In verse 20, I want to I look at verse 20. So in verse 19, Saul, as he got to Damascus, spent several days with the disciples, Christians, the people he was going to kill and arrest, He's spending several days with them, and in verse 20, it says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. He had just encountered the Son of God. His life was rearranged, completely changed, did a 180, and everything that he knew was turned on his head, on its head. Like, this man had had a life-changing experience, and what jumped out at me in verse 20 was the very first few words. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues. At once. Church, when you have heard from God, we need you to lead the charge. We need you to run. We need you to sprint. We need you to go. We need you to do. Saul heard from God in a dramatic way, and he gets to Damascus, and at once he begins to preach the good news of the Son of God. Don't wait for us as Church Project to commission you. Give us permission to do the same. As you chase after what God has called you to do, And when he's spoken to you, and it's clear what he wants you to do, go at once. And by you going at once and doing it, what's going to happen is other people that need the courage to do the same thing are going to see your courage, and they're going to follow in your footprints. Give us permission to do the same. My good buddy, um, Josh Packard, Dr. Josh Packard, wrote a a book called Church Refugees, and it's it's a book packed, filled with, with empirical evidence and stats and numbers, and he's smart. He's, he's really good. But he wrote this book. I'd encourage all of us to read this book. And, and one of the main reasons, and the main reason people are leaving church, church refugees, you get it, they're, they're kind of leaving church. The main reason people are leaving church is they, they're finding it's, it's easier to impact the world without the church. 
It's not their theology was wrong. It's not someone made me mad. It's not they talked about tithe too much, which, by the way, tithe if you're not. Anyway. You won't leave when I say that. It's proven. So anyway. It, the number one reason people leave church is because they're finding it's easier to have an impact in the world without the church. The church itself has created too much red tape. Ministry partnerships, one of the reasons we exist and drives us is ministry partnerships because we want to, financially we are partnering, but we also want to relationally partner with ministries like Bill and Carrie Oaks. Go down on Friday night to Youth for Christ and see them partnering relationally with the ministry. Like if God's calling you to do something, it's time to do it. Go at once. Go at once and do it. We need you. The church needs you. Don't wait on me to say, oh, that's blessed. Go do it. Like, no, go do it. Saul at once. He went and did this. I would say this. Try to stop April McClure right now. Where's April? Mm-hmm. I'm going to really embarrass you. Why don't you stand up? Turn around. <laughs> Yay, April. There you go. You could sit down. I just wanted everyone to see. Try to stop her right now. Um, really, try to. She went as a participant a couple years ago, I think, to Haiti. Um, now she's been multiple times to Haiti. Uh, since then, well, no, her and Peter actually even talked about moving to Haiti. They're, they're all in on this ministry partnership we have with Haiti. Um, since then, she's become our ministry partnership liaison because every ministry and church project has to have a liaison. That's April. Since then, she is now on the board of directors for that whole ministry, all of it, not just the liaisonship for the partnership we have. Um, since then, she's nailing the imagos. Good night. Was that, when is your last imago? Two, two weeks, the chains imago? Were you here for her chains imago? Incredible. Um, and side note on that, Anne, what's your address? We're all going to write you uh, a card. Oh, there, there you are, Anne. Please give us your address. That was a great imago. Um, so since then, uh, April's been in na- nailing imagos, and soon she's, she's probably given us a message on Sunday morning. Why? Because you can't stop her. Go and do. Go and do. Don't wait. Like, don't wait on the church. Josh Packer has already said it's when the church is putting up the red tape. You're probably going to leave and go figure out how to do it on your own. So why don't we do it together? Like, why don't we go and do in a powerful, make a powerful impact? April, thank you for not waiting. Thank you for growing and doing, and thank you. We could say that a thousand times over as church project. Thank you for what you are doing. Don't wait for permission. Don't ask for permission. Don't hope to get the approval of others. Don't wait around for others to validate you in life when God has given you a mission and a calling. And here's a question for us to ask. Where do you need validation in your own life? Where do you need validation? Because I think this is oftentimes where Satan comes in and really kind of picks us off. He comes in at the beginning and says, oh, Saul, yeah, you, you just encountered Jesus. Remember, you were on your way to kill Christians, so don't you dare even think that you're going to start leading the church yet, Saul. Don't you dare. 
Why don't you wait till others validate you and you have a little more experience on how to be a good Christian, Saul? Don't you dare go and immediately start preaching the good news of the Son of God. And Satan does that to us every single day. Where are you needing validation in your own life? Look around at people like April and other saints and people that are going before us and leading the charge and get courage from them if you need to, but be confident that you are enough, church. You are enough exactly the way that God has gifted you and exactly the way that God has formed you. You are enough. Revelations 3.12 says his name is written on our hearts. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see Aaron Havens. He sees Jesus. Our identity is found in Jesus So if you don't think Jesus is enough, then you have permission to go, woe is me, and to sit and not go and do. But if you believe in the powerful name of Jesus, that name is written on your heart, and that is your identity. We've got to stand up and go and do immediately. When we are in the right mindset as Christians, we can live in freedom. We can live in complete freedom. It allows us to laugh more at our mistakes. (laughs) I want to say that again, because sometimes when we make mistakes, it just beats us up. When when we're Christians, we have the identity of Jesus on us. It's written, we're validated, we're enough. It gives us freedom. It even allows us the ability to laugh more at our mistakes, which means I'm going to laugh a whole lot this week. It allows us to be okay with messing up. It allows us to be okay to not give up and to keep trying even when we make a mistake. It allows us to go down dying while smiling. I kind of liked that. Think about that. That would be a cool motto in life. Like, I want to go down dying, smiling. Like, no regrets whatsoever. Living a life of complete freedom. It allows us to pick our battles and to work our fingers to the bone. Because we're so dedicated and we're so called. We don't have time to be lazy. We don't have time to be apathetic. We know what God's called us to do. And as soon as we get up from our knees on the road to Damascus, we go immediately and start preaching the good news. God has given all of us this same challenge and this same ability to confer with God directly in regards to the dreams he has for our lives. So are you conferring with God directly for the dreams he has for your lives? Galatians 1, 15 and 17 says this. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response, and this is Paul talking about this whole thing going on right now, He says, my immediate response was not to consult any human beings. I did not go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. What he says was, God called me, and I knew it was God. I didn't need to have the affirmation of the apostles. I went and did immediately. Church, how is this sitting with you? 
What's God calling you to do? What has he gifted you to do? And are you getting up and doing that immediately? Thank God that Saul got up and went for it. Amen? Amen. Let's look at verse 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of God. Besides one other time in Acts, this is the only time that this title is used, the Son of God. But I think it is it's pretty obvious why he used that title right there. When, when, when Jesus appeared to him, he said, who are you, Lord? I'm the Son of God. Like he, he has now met him intimately. In verse 21, it continues, and it says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Hmm. So in verse 21, it, it begins, the, the people that are there, the Christians that are there, as Saul has had this conversion and is now going to Damascus, um, the, the Christians begin, they're, they're scared of this man. They don't know that if they even trust him yet. And they begin to ask this. They say, isn't he? Like, isn't he this man? Is, isn't this his identity? Like, what we're seeing and what we're hearing right now doesn't line up with what we've known of him. So isn't he this guy? Like, isn't he the one that created the havoc? But Satan does the same thing in our lives, church. He does the same thing in our lives. Where is the hell-raising young woman from your past? Isn't that your identity? Right? Satan comes in and goes, you always mess up like this. You always do this. He begins to throw those always terms your way. Where is the proud and arrogant, hot-headed person, men, from not long ago? Satan will come in and go, Isn't, aren't you this? Isn't he this? And they begin to speak. They begin to give you false aliases. And Satan comes in and begins to take your legs out before you're even running. And so the Christians, even as, Dema- as Saul goes to Damascus, they're already beginning to naysay this wonderful, powerful thing that's happening with Saul. Isn't he the man? Isn't he the one? Isn't he? And if you're anything like me, I'm already not very confident when I'm going to Damascus. And all it takes for me when I get there, if I'm Saul, is for some awesome, educated Christian people to begin to go, aren't you, aren't you, aren't you, and say negative things to me, and I just, I wilt. I'm not worthy. Like, you're right, I can't do this. I'm not equipped. I'm so new at this. Yeah. Maybe, just maybe, we need a new identity an identity in Jesus Christ. Maybe, just maybe, there's people that are sitting in here right now and you're believing every identity that's thrown your way. Isn't he that drug addict? Isn't she that bad person? Whatever Satan likes to whisper your way, maybe, just maybe, we need a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. As Christians, the new is here. There is no more isn't he. There is no more isn't she. That mistake can't define you anymore. Can I say that again? That mistake can't define you anymore. 
Because as God promises, he's written his name on our heart and the old person is gone and the new creation has come. And I say, amen for that, Jesus. Amen for that, God, in my life. How about you? Amen. Let's go to verse 22. Um, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. The Jewish people were expectant of a Messiah. That, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a Messiah, someone to come and give them back everything that was stolen from them, to fight for them, to lead their charge of justice. That's what they're looking for. And Saul shows up and he begins to preach the Son of God. And not only that, the resurrection of Jesus from death to life. He begins to preach this. Jesus and his resurrection was the central message Saul would preach from here on out. And this was the message that flew in the face against the Jewish tradition and custom. They're looking for a Messiah to physically show up and to grab them as a great warrior, and to free them, and to give them back everything that was stolen and ripped and lost from them. Saul comes in and begins to preach of this Jesus that died. What? Does that sound like a Messiah? But defeated death? And this becomes the central focus of Saul all throughout Scripture, as his name later is turned to Paul, and he writes 13 books of the New Testament. Like, this is his message. Acts 17, 18 says this of about, about Paul later. He says, A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Some of you say that about me on Sundays. Shame on you. Come on, I need some love here. Uh, okay, continue. What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. That is the central purpose of the gospel message. That's why the gospel message exists. If we're preaching anything other than Jesus and the resurrection, we are preaching a false gospel. He didn't show up and he didn't preach relative moralism. He didn't show up and preach a stagnant, dilapidated, fading into obscurity gospel. No, he preached a powerful resurrection and earth-shaking word that Jesus has defeated death. All right, there's the facts. I don't know what Jesus is speaking to you right now. In your heart and in your mind. Maybe you've been clinging to more moral teachings than the actual teaching of Jesus and the resurrection and death. So, Did he preach the results of Christianity to people or do we preach the cause and core of Christianity to people? Like, when we're talking about Jesus to our friends and neighbors and whomever we come across, do we jump to the results of what Christianity can do for us? 
It can save your marriage. It can make you a better person. It can. Do we jump there? Or do we get to the core message and the, the core message of Christianity? And ourselves, do we believe in the results of being a follower of Christ? Or do we believe in the depth of our sin and the power of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? The big question is this. Do, are we in Christianity because we, what we think it can do for us or because we realize that what Jesus has already done for us? The gospel message as plain as day. Here it is. Step one. God created the heavens and the earth. We did not. Step two. Humans tried to become God. Sin entered into the world. We're not God. Step three. God is perfect. We are not. Step four. Sin is only paid for by blood. You see it in the New Testament. Sin is a costly thing. Step five. Jesus paid his blood for our sin. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection. Step six, God only sees us as perfect and sinless because of Jesus. He covers over all of our sin. Step seven, our actions cannot pay for our sin debt. There's nothing that we can do to pay for our sin debt. And step eight, Only those that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, may we, church, like verse 20, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. May we in our lives and in our hearts not be in Christianity because of the results of Christianity. May we call ourselves followers of Christ because we realize the depths of our sin. We realize that that sin separates us from the love of Jesus, of God. And that God sent his only son to die on the cross to cover that sin over. The sin of our past, the sin of our future. And all those that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saul got it. And at once he went and he couldn't stop. He had to share this message at once. His validation wasn't found in in humans. His validation was found in the fact that he locked eyes with Jesus and Jesus gave him a calling on his life. No one was going to stop him. And we see what a powerful man he was as he moved through his life, ups and downs, struggles, pains, and joys. Resolute, locking eyes on Jesus not the results of Christianity. Wow. Let's pray. Wow, 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 God. Ouch. God, I, 
even as I'm writing this message and even giving this message, I'm just so convicted that oftentimes in my own life, I look at the results more than I look at you. I lo- I, you know what, God, honestly, I quite, quite honestly, I look at myself more than I look at you. Oh, woe is me, what do I need to do to change and all this stuff, God, and I, I pray against that for me. That my drive would not be me, it would be you. That God, you would break me to the core to lock my eyes with you. And God, I pray that for our entire church. I guarantee there's people in this room today that maybe for the first time, they're going to realize that they're living life on their own, their own terms. Would you please strip us of that? And may we with our words and with our heart and minds just call on you. And and so I pray for anyone in this room today that if you have never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are living life on your own. There's no action you can do to cover your sins. It only gets worse from here. But Jesus comes in and he covers us with his blood and he says, call on my name and you shall be saved. So if you're sitting here today and for the very first time, You'll say, God, I give up control of my life to you. Use me the way you see fit. God, please forgive me of my sins, and I call on your name. The word promises that you are saved. You're in a love relationship with God Almighty. And if you did that today for the first time, would you tell us on your response card on your chair as well? And it's important for us to surround you now and to show you how much God loves you and to put um, brilliant men and women in your life to help you walk through this. But we want to walk through this with you. But God, I also know that there's people in this room like myself that you're convicting me and breaking me, that I've looked at the results more than I've looked at you. Break our hearts and we ask for forgiveness, God. May we be more about you than about us. God, continue to move in our hearts and make us more like you. Why don't we take a couple moments just here quietly, sit here, reflect on God, who he is. And maybe just go through in your own heart and mind right now, God, you are love. God, you are joy just go through your own list like just call on his name right now and and tell him who he is to you in your own heart and mind God you are God you are it's when we have God in his right spot that he begins to pour and refresh us for some of you this might be a breaking moment allow God to just speak into who you are because you're not that junk 
that you thought you are or other people have said you are. You're so much more. His word has a thousand scriptures that say who you are when his name's written, written on your heart. So in this place right now, would you just sit and say, God, show me who I am in you, who you say I am. child of a king that I'm more than conqueror I know this week that I've been listening more to the accuser than to Jesus who speaks life when Aaron was talking about what is what is the accuser whispering in my ear? I struggle with uh, speaking in my stress, unkind, sharp things. And um, this week, my focus was suddenly on those those mistakes that I'd been making and the areas where I felt like a failure, which caused me to feel more like a failure and to continue doing that. Um, and it wasn't until this morning that I'm realizing that has a name and it's shame and Satan the accuser is pointing at me and saying yeah see you should be ashamed but the thing is that that Jesus he is speaking life to me so why on earth would I listen to Satan when I could tune into Jesus so I think something that the God is putting on my heart this morning as Aaron saying this is to recognize what what Satan's been throwing in your face. What are you ashamed of? And uh, what God said in my prayer time this morning was to, to let it go. And so just take whatever that shame is and let it go. Because shame keeps us from making connections with people and absolutely keeps us from making connections with Jesus. I'll pray out loud. You let go. Jesus, I just, I thank you for this real uh, reality check. You speak life. It's not fluffy or silly for me to listen to how much you love me instead of what mistakes I've been making. God, I let go of my shame. I let go of my sharp, unkind words. God, and I trust that you're doing something beautiful in me. In your precious name, Jesus.